This week's podcast brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, the leader in wetlands conservation going all the way back to 1937. Think about that. That's a lot of history of conserving waterfowl habitat and the uh, ducks and geese that we all are so passionate about. Uh, I'm a proud member and I also serve on the Dallas DU committee. Uh, I encourage you to get plugged in with your local Ducks Unlimited chapter uh, and, and join this great group of folks who are passionate about duck hunting and waterfowl conservation. For more info, head over to ducks.org. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born and more, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists. Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities, to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. Find a nest in the hills, chill like Flint. Buy an old drop top, find a spot to pimp. Then I'm a kid, rock it up and down your block. Go with a bottle of scotch and watch lots of crotch. Cable Smith, welcome everybody into episode 672 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Little Kid Rock kicking things off for us today. Cowboy. That one goes back to uh, my high school days. And that one is by request, by the masses, by you guys and gals. Y'all voted. I put up a poll on Instagram. Uh, it was uh, Travis Tritt versus Kid Rock. And both of them made headlines this past week after taking a stand against Bud Light, who hired the uh, some transgender activist to be one of their spokespeople. Uh, apparently, the folks that listen to this show... Not down with the whole indoctrination, transgender ideology that's being forced on you and I, and more importantly, our kiddos these days. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Kid Rock, for taking a stand. Uh, what are we doing today? Well, let me tell you. Uh, but first, I gotta, I gotta tell you really quickly about this past week with the kiddos. I pulled two of the three out of school Monday through Wednesday, uh, Henry and Stella and I. And we drove seven and a half hours down to Raymondville, Texas, to the Aturia Ranch. And uh, this is a famous ranch that borders the King Ranch. Originally, it was 80,000 plus acres. And now I think it, it's been chopped up over the years as you know how it goes with big ranches. Uh, the kids, the heirs get involved and they want their piece of the pie and they sell it. So the largest portion remaining is 15,000 acres, and, and that's where we were turkey hunting. Uh, my good friend Chisholm, whom I host the uh, Justified Pursuit podcast with, he brought his two oldest daughters down. So lots of kids in camp, and it was all about them. Henry got his first gobbler. Uh, Stella, unfortunately, missed her opportunity, and turns out she just wasn't ready. Uh, so I think we'll get Stella on the show sometime in the next couple of weeks to talk about that experience. But I ended up shooting her turkey, and we certainly had a special moment when we both realized, hey, uh, 
this isn't the year for her because I think she was feeling the pressure and I never put that pressure on her. She just wanted to impress her dad. And when she missed, she looked up at me and said, um, dad, tears are starting to well up in her eyes. And she said, daddy, I hope, I hope you're not mad at me. (laughs) Whoa. I mean, you talk about tugging at my heartstrings, mad at you, little Stella Ray. (laughs) You're eight years old. This is the third time you've ever shot a shotgun. You've never killed anything. I could, it doesn't matter if it's the hundredth time. I could never be mad at you. You're out here with your dad doing what he loves. And uh, and that's what's important to me. She has no idea how much it meant to me. Uh, but yeah, she'll be ready next year. Or if she's not, that's not the end of the world. But we had a hell of a time. And the amount of wildlife out there between the the turkey and the deer and the quail. Then you factor in the... Free-ranging Nilgai, Waterbuck, Red Lechway, Oryx, um, what else did we see? Blackbuck, all of it, free-range. They just couldn't believe it. So, oh, oh, and the Javelina, Javelina out 24-7 and not even afraid of people. So you could just, uh, I mean, Henry's favorite thing to do was take corn out of the buggy, throw it down the driveway of the lodge and just wait for the Javelina to come and then take pictures with my cell phone. (laughs) So it was a great trip. Uh, maybe I'll get them both on together, and we'll uh, we'll relive that experience coming up on a future episode. Uh, so what are we doing today? You know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's Beat Up Old Stanley Thermos because we're ready to rock and roll, and we've got a very special guest. His name is Jeremy Evans. He hails from Alberta, Canada, and he'll share his story of being mauled within an inch of his life by one pissed-off mama grizzly bear. Yeah, and uh, the uh, highs and lows of getting out of the backcountry after the mauling is it's a testament to the human will to survive because the severity of his injuries, it's absolutely mind-blowing that he was able to even get out of the backcountry where he was actually uh, scouting for sheep when this happened. So buckle up for an emotional ride today, a graphic one at times, uh, because Jeremy doesn't hold anything back. And we're certainly looking forward to visiting with him today. Uh, Let's do a quick giveaway. Vortex just released their new Cloud Shaker rain jacket. All-day weather protection from trail to town. So whether you're doing camp chores, filling feeders, walking the dog, casting off the bank, or dinner with friends, it's the Cloud Shaker. Keep you high and dry. Cool thing, it's got a self-stowing pocket for packability, stretch fabric for greater mobility. Uh, and you can find the the Cloud Shaker as well as all of Vortex's apparel right there at vortexoptics.com. And you'll get, uh, I, think, I think you get 20% off with my discount code LONESTAR20 on all apparel. But we'll give one of these Cloud Shakers away. Uh, and it comes with a nifty Vortex Nalgene bottle as well. Uh, all you need to do is email the word Vortex. That's Vortex to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Coming up next, Jeremy Evans joins us from Alberta, Canada to share his tale of uh, one of the most harrowing grizzly bear attacks that you'll ever hear about on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Time to tell you about Protect 
products, veteran-owned and made in the USA, protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is, they don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off of Virginia Parkway in McKinney. There's a little CCR bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks so much for being here today. Uh, we're about to head up to Alberta to get into a a grizzly bear attack that, uh, well, let's just say this. The will to survive is strong in all of us, some more than others. But Jeremy Evans is here, and he's going to share his story momentarily uh, this segment, though, brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the SA-410 semi-automatic shotgun. It's what Henry shot his first gobbler with this past weekend down in South Texas. And he got to see firsthand what you can't stop the flop is all about. Uh, it was awesome. So proud of the little dude. And that 410 is about all uh, a 70-pound 10-year-old can handle. Uh, just perfect for him. He went from two years ago not wanting to shoot shotguns ever to, Dad, let me shoot the 410. Dad, where's the 410? Dad, can we shoot the 410? <laughs> you can find the SA 410 as well as Mossberg's entire lineup of shotguns right there at Mossberg.com. Without further delay, let's bring him on right now. Joining us from Alberta, Canada, it's my pleasure to welcome Jeremy Evans to the show. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, where are you joining us from? I'm joining from uh, Calgary, Alberta. Right on. Canada, yeah. So you're a big hockey fan? No, not so much. Watch a little bit, mostly the playoffs. And... Yeah, it sounds about like me. <laughs> <laughs> the stars are in first place, though. I do know that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so are you a uh, a lifelong outdoorsman? Yeah, lifelong. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, uh, you know, my... Um, I ran around in the bush with my dad. We did a lot of hunting and fishing, lots of camping, hiking all over the place, um, looking for sheep. You know, when I was very little, I was out with my dad, you know, um, either on his back or trying to keep up to him going up into the, the back of the mountains and can't ask his country there and looking for sheep, chasing gross and just lots of little fun. Yeah. 
So what is your what is your favorite thing to hunt? Hmm. Uh, I'm going to say it's sheep right now. Uh, I haven't harvested one harvested one yet, uh, bighorn, but uh, keep trying. It just, I mean, I, I like to hunt everything. Uh-huh. I'm mostly a bow hunter, so and hunting anything is a challenge with a bow, and I, I just enjoy getting out there and uh, being in the wilderness, fresh air. Oh yeah, yeah. So, what is that like for an Alberta resident as far as sheep hunting is concerned? You know, for me, it's like. If I don't draw somewhere, which is has to be either totally random or I have to build enough preference point, you know, preference points in some western state. By the time I get enough points, I'll be probably too old to even go on the hunt. Uh, so that leaves those options, or you know, paying fifty thousand dollars for one. What is it like for Alber- Albertans? In Alberta, as a resident, you could buy a tag over the counter every year, and you've got a variety of zones you can hunt in. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the zones where there's uh, I guess a lot more known like uh, Cadman mines and uh, there's a few other little zones that it take you a lifetime to get drawn in. Uh, but yeah, every year you can buy a tag over the counter. If you harvest a ram that year, you can't buy a tag until the uh, tell year. I think it's two years after you harvest a ram. So pretty much buy a tag, go run around and try to get one. Huh. And you, but you've yet to kill one. I have yet to. Yep. Um, there's about, you know, two to 3% chance of harvesting a legal ram, uh, in Alberta, depending on the zone, you got to shoot a four fist curl or a full curl ram. Uh-huh. And so over the years I hunted mostly in, uh, in a four fist curl zone, but it's really hard to judge a ram at, you know, half mile, 500 yards, trying to make sure he's legal. I never pulled the trigger on one. I've came close. I passed up some rams that I know now were legal but it's just, it's really tough to make that call. Is it legal, not legal? And that's where I struggle oh, yeah. with. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's certainly something to that as far as the uh, level of expertise concerned to, to be able to tell through a spotting scope at a thousand yards away. Yeah. That's a legal Ram or even further, you know, yep. and then do you, do you want to waste the day and all that energy trying to get to it, you know, and then it not end up being legal. So that, that's a tough call. Me, I just, I would go, I'd see a ram where it looks like a ram and I'd hike over, over there, spend the day or a day and a half, get over to that ridge and get over there. I'm like, oh, no, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's the summer of 2017 when you were mauled by a grizzly in the Alberta Rockies. And so were you sheep hunting then? Yes, it was. It was the uh, day before sheep season. My, uh, that, that summer, I spent the whole the whole summer, every weekend going out. I uh, found a band of rams, and I was keeping track of them from, I guess, you know, June all the way till late August when this took place on August 24th. Uh, my plan was to go out there the day before sheep season, hike out, find my ram, set up camp, wait till the following morning, and then harvest them, pack up, and hike out. Uh, it was my 40 weekend. I was pretty mm-hmm. excited. And what caliber do you take sheep hunting? I... I normally do with my bow, but I have a 300 wind mag. I brought uh, this time here was I brought my uh, rifle just to make it quick and yeah. in and out. And so what happened on that day? Uh, I think I read that you saw a little brown furball run by and you immediately knew, uh-oh, there's going to be a bigger <laughs> one behind it. Yeah. So that morning I got out there uh, about 2.30 a.m. in the morning left my truck, hopped on my bicycle, and I rode back in, uh, back into the mountains, into the far back uh, drainages. 
I got to the very end. There's one last steep drainage before you get into the back bowl. I was coming up that slowly making my way up with my bicycle and my gear. And I just kind of started breaking all the tree line. Uh, it was about 9 a.m. And I saw some sheep on the on the back bowl. And I was sitting there watching them. Going, oh, okay, wicked. There's some sheep. So I'm getting excited. And I'd walk about 10 feet, sneaking through, stop, watch for about 10 minutes, and then move a little bit forward more and more. Just watch them. Watch. was going to basically keep following them until they bedded down and then set up camp. Uh, so I got to a spot and I started to see some rams. Uh, so I took off my backpack and leaned it against my bicycle. I had my elbows on the handlebars just to steady myself, sitting there glass and watching, watching the rams. Then I got up and just kind of stretched, moved around. When I was doing that, I noticed a little brown thing run in front of me, you know, probably about 10 feet away. Oh. I knew, I knew right away what it was. I, I just got this feeling of being like, fucked. like, uh Oh, there's, there's the baby. Where's mama. <laughs> <laughs> and it, It's the strangest feeling. Like you're sitting there until still this day, you just get that. Like you just, the cold air kind of just swoops across your body. You get the shivers and you're like, Oh, shit. So, uh, my first instinct was to grab my bear spray and, and stupid me, I, that morning I threw in the bottom in my backpack cause it was like, what's the chance of me seeing a bear? And so, um, leaning over, trying to get my bear spray on my backpack, uh, I was leaning against my bicycle as I was leaning over to grab it. I heard a branch break over my right shoulder. And as I looked, there was mama, she's already in a full charge. She was less than an arm's reach away or, uh, Right paw was stretched out. I could see her claws. Uh, the left side, I could see the whites of her eyes. Her mouth slightly open. I mean, she wasn't. She was in a full charge. Oh. I uh, just uh, grabbed a, my bicycle and just leaned to the side, and I dropped my bicycle right in front of her. Her uh, head went through the frame of the bicycle, and she stopped and turned and looked at me, and picked and had the bike around her neck, and she shook it off and came was kind of turning towards me well she's pretty close i smashed her in the face of my backpack as hard as i could and she was chomping at it and then i it was a a badlands ox pack so it was the metal frame on the side so i had that and i started smashing her in the head and hitting her in the face with it she managed to get a hold of my right hand and crush against the pack and that hurt a little bit she let go and i kept pushing her back uh she kind of Stopped, turned, and started walking away. And I was like, oh, okay. And so, <laughs> like, my hand oh. hurts, but that wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, okay, well, this is good. <laughs> so she's walking away, and I'm trying to get my bear spray on my backpack because my gun was strapped to the pack and, you know, my ammo was inside it. And so I'm trying to pull my bear spray out or something. And I remember looking up, she had spun, she's about 30 feet away. She had spun right around and she came charging in. And this is what I call the beginning of round two. Oh gosh. Wow. So when, when she turned around, she came charging in. I was like, oh crap. So I my back I had my backpack and I just threw it right at her. And uh I decided to run up the mountainside. Um I was gonna run up the hill. It was a pretty steep hill and figured if I get run up the hill and run past a tree, I could jump off the hill into the tree to get some extra extra, you know, ground length. I thought that was a great idea. Well, <laughs> She come running behind me and I remember running, I get to get to a tree, jump into it. And I can hear her, this, and you can just hear her paws hitting the ground, her body, like she was coming in flying. So I was about five, six feet off the ground. My right leg was dangling low. I was trying to pull it up as I was doing that. Uh, 
She stood on her hind legs and reached up with both paws, wrapped them around my right leg and pulled it to her mouth. And I remember just seeing her lunge up. And as she lunged up, uh, she grabbed me right behind the knee and her teeth wrapped around my knee there. And I just remember looking down going, this is going to hurt. Mm. So she uh, ripped me right out of a tree, just one little jerk, and I hit the ground pretty hard. I was in a spruce tree, and so my first instinct, I was just going to crawl underneath the spruce tree and wrap myself around it. And hopefully the spruce brow, she'll have trouble digging at me and maybe protect me a little bit. So she was clawing at it, and it was working. Um, she seemed to get angrier, a little more violent. She reached in with her mouth, grabbed me on the right side, or left side, and the love handles just above the... I guess just below the ribs, above the hips there, and she uh -huh. grabbed me, picked me up, and threw me about six feet. Uh, I hit the ground pretty dazed, and I was laying on my right side and trying to curl up in a ball as I'm doing that. She was she pounced on me like it was half a second. I literally couldn't. I hit the ground, you know, go to take a breath, and then she was on me. Um, the oh. first the first thing she did was bite me in the face and uh her uh we'll just kind of demonstrate here her oh, uh she's got a grizzly skull here <laughs> actually this is a black bear oh, okay <laughs> uh just uh anyways her uh top two canine teeth caught me on either side of the left eye and when she bit oh. down she crushed everything below my left eye uh my nose corner of my nose where the tear ducts are and crushed everything down all the way down to my cheek down to my jaw and that was the, uh, her first bite and, and I'm laying there and, and that really hurt. And I was sitting there thinking, well, this playing dead sucks, especially when you're getting chewed on. Yeah. Oh, so, all right. So playing dead, I mean, they always say, and, and I don't know if this is true or not, but you always hear, you know, play dead with a grizzly fight a black bear off because black bear is trying to eat you or a grizzly. It's like this, a predatory, uh, protecting the young type or you're, you're in there uh territory so i don't know it sounds like uh it sounds like it didn't matter what you did <laughs> in this situation well it, it depends on it depends on the attack like even with a black bear uh, or or a grizzly uh it depends on if it's a defense attack or if it's a predatory attack mm -hmm. if it's a predatory attack either black bear or grizzly fight for your life because they're trying to eat you if it's a defense attack, you're you're better off to play dead because the more you fight back, the more they're going to keep going because all they're trying to do is neutralize the threat mm -hmm. and then they'll take off. So in this instance, because of the cub, I was between a mom and her cub. This was a full defense attack. Well, you know, I'm laying there, took that big bite out of me and I'm thinking like this sucks, right? Like, I, so I rolled over, started punching her in the nose poking her eyeballs, grabbing her ear, just trying to, you know, show my fingers in her nose just to get her to stop biting me with my right hand. And uh, she came down to bite me a second time in the face. And it just was like a, I don't know, like a ah sweet moment, I call it. Um, the way her mouth was coming down, it just was in a perfect line with my left hand. And I punched my left hand into her mouth. And... I just remember my hand sliding down her tongue and you can feel all the little bumps and the beginning's kind of a little bit rough and then it gets a little soft and it feels like leather and you can feel all the little scars in the ridge of the tongue. And I shoved my index finger, middle finger down her throat and wrapped my thumb and pinky and ring finger around her tongue. And I was holding on. She was, uh, started to gag. And, and I remember looking at my arm and about 
you know, two thirds of my forearm was uh, in her mouth, and I was just holding on. Uh, she was choking and almost trying to squeal like a pig. Uh-huh. Her uh, back paws were digging into the right side of my stomach. You know, that was hurting. So I was trying to push them off. As I was pushing her hind end, uh, my hand slipped and I hit the belly, and I could tell it was the belly softer softer hair less hair i reached up and grabbed what i thought was balls at the time but it was just some really loose skin pretty high up i grabbed it and twisted and pulled and when i did that she uh, gasped took a large gasp and she let out a squeal like a pig like a really deep deep squeal and i'm holding on and she's squealing and she's you know kind of gagging and making a lot of sound really really flopping around I figured she got the point and I let go and she ran back the way she came, just defecating across the mountainside, squealing like a pig, real deep, deep squeal. So she runs off. I started up right away and dusted myself off. I'm like, well, that sucked. <laughs> I got, uh, I got back to my pack and, oh, and, uh, first thing I did was I took out my phone and I took a selfie of myself to see what, uh, what I look like. And, uh, I was like, well, that's not so bad. Um, but in this picture, you can see that, you know, a large majority of my face has been removed. Um, I yeah. can send you, I'll send you the picture there and yeah, y'all can see that on my, I'll post it on my Instagram and in the website as well. So it, it's quite gruesome. Uh, but I was sitting there looking at it thinking, well, you know, it's not that bad. This is where I think a little bit of shock was kicking in. And I was thinking, well, I can either go hunt that bear or I can go and go get that cheap, you know, and then get out of here. Uh, (laughs) so i'm sitting there you know i'm at my pack i'm leaning against this old stump and i was pretty i was pretty mad like well now i gotta go home and i spent all summer in here my rams over there and like i just i i was so frustrated and so i'm sitting there and i got my gun against my left shoulder and i'm loading up my clip and uh as i'm loading up my clip i heard the sound of ice breaking Oh boy! So it was it wasn't so bad <laughs> initially. I'm like, oh, this isn't this isn't terrible, and uh, you've, you're going to survive. You've been mauled by a bear, uh, but it gets worse. And we will get into what happens next after the break with Jeremy Evans, author of Mauled. And that segment was brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit and my friends over at Stealth Camp. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, Buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Did you know that Orvis has been family owned since its inception in 1856? Think about that. Uh, They also donate 5% back to protecting nature. Orvis and his customers have raised and donated more than $20 million to protecting nature over the past 25 years. They continue to grow a community of outdoorsmen and women with classes focused on everything from fly fishing to wing shooting and hunting dog handling from basics all the way to advanced. And don't forget about their unique fly fishing and wing shooting trips all over the world. Orvis, proudly American-made fly fishing gear since 1856. So tell me what a guy 
latest from Brian Martin, Memory to Drown, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for dropping by. Uh, we're still visiting with Albertan Jeremy Evans regarding uh, the mauling he suffered at the hands of a pissed-off mama grizzly bear. Uh, we'll get back into his will to survive momentarily. This segment, though, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Okay, uh, Jeremy, thanks for sticking around. When we left off, you had just been mauled by this mama grizzly. You got between, well, you didn't really do anything. The cub ran across, got separated from mama, and now she's attacked you, left you in pretty bad shape, and you have gotten your gun at this point, are pissed off yourself, thinking, I'm going to go kill this grizzly. What happens at that point? So I'm sitting there, and I got my gun against my left shoulder, and I'm loading up my clip, and uh as i'm loading up my clip i heard the sound of ice breaking and my arms dropped just kind of dropped it was almost like i was paralyzed uh, she had come back and grabbed me by the back of the skull and she drug me back into the bush when she when she grabbed me i was pretty much lifeless couldn't really move i just seen her paws on the other side of me digging to the ground and she's just pulling backwards you can hear her huffing like whew, whew, as she's pulling me back in uh, i don't know you know how far she drug me in but it was seems like it seemed like a little ways so how how much time it elapsed from when she ran ran off and then came back this is probably you know uh, seven to ten minutes ish huh so i mean I felt this, like a, that's that's so weird like you would have thought she had found her cub and that was that uh yeah what uh what happened was where I was, there was a cliff in front of me and then the drainage I walked up was pretty steep. And then they got the hard rock behind me. So when she ran back, she ran back the way her, the way she came, but the cub ran down the drainage and down into the bottom where there was a Creek. And so I think she was trying to get back to her cub and I was in the way again. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. So, so she's dragging you back into the brush. Dragging me back in the brush. Uh, we came to a stop and I was sitting on my butt, leaning against, I assume was her front legs. Uh, she reached over with her one claw on, caught me on the right side of the face on the corner of my mouth and nose with her claw. And she peeled all the skin and everything off of my head on the right side from basically center of my nose, all the way up my right, my right ear, all the skin off my head. I noticed that the right side of your hair is not doesn't grow as well as the left side. Yeah, I missed that piece in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> she may have eaten that. <laughs> so she she peeled all the all the skin off uh, my right ear, and she was chewing on the top left corner of my head, um, left side all the way down to my collarbone. She was chewing on my neck and just chewing away like a dog bone. I just remember hearing her teeth just crunching away. And just ripping and tearing. And you don't really have a way to defend yourself because she's behind you right now. She's behind me. And it was almost like I was paralyzed. Like I couldn't move. It just, I felt totally helpless. I just was like a doll laying there. She's ripping and tearing. Uh -huh. Um, 
she moved or shifted and I fell onto the ground. I hit the ground and that's when I could start really feeling things. Uh, I couldn't see at this point because my left eye was hanging out of the socket, hanging down. My right eye had been uh, bashed into my skull and facing up. Like I didn't, I couldn't feel it. I couldn't find it. Like it wasn't there. Uh, I knew something was above me. I could feel the hair. You know, I could kind of tell there was something dark. So I reached up with my ha- both hands and I felt the same spot that I thought was balls, you know, uh, a little soft, squishy skin. So I grabbed that, twisted and pulled both hands. I then wrapped my legs around her neck and kind of locked them in like a, kind of like a UFC fighter, you know, just locked my legs mm-hmm. in. And I was holding on for dear life and whatever I had, I was trying to rip off. As I was pulling on it, she started to buck like a Bronco and, and squeal like a pig. She's flopping around, rolling around on the mountainside, making all kinds of horrible noises. And then I let go and she went running, screaming down the mountainside. Um, after that, I, I couldn't stand. I couldn't see. I like there was, there's pieces just hanging everywhere. I crawled down the mountain, the hillside. I got to the trail and I managed to find my pack and gear as, uh, when I found that I was uh, looking for the gun, feeling around and I found the gun right away. I grabbed some shells and I tried to put them down into the chamber. Um, I, this time I had, it was the Tika T3 light. And so you need the clip. I mean, you can put them down the uh, shell down into the chamber, but mm-hmm. I couldn't, my fingers were all going different ways and I couldn't see and I struggled to get it in. So I started to panic. I was feeling around for the clip on the hillside. And the first thing I found was my mustache and goatee. And then I found a chunk of my face and then I found one of my ears. Uh, oh. And then I, then I found the clip. And you're and like, that was I, a good looking goatee I just found. I threw the uh, clip into the gun and the first dark thing beside me got three rounds. I just shot three rounds and the closest dark thing reloaded it, fired three rounds and the next dark thing. And I'm just sitting there like, what do you do? Uh-huh. Um, I had all these pieces of my face in my hand and I, I was just sitting there and um, I knew at that point that I wasn't going to make it, that this was, this was pretty much the end for me. That I, was one of my questions is what point or if did you ever feel like you were going to die? I, I, the whole time. I never thought I was ever going to make it. Hmm. Uh, I knew I was going to die. It was just a matter of when and where. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there in the hillside kind of debating, you know, like, what do you do? Do you, do you end it yourself? Do you let it just happen? Um, wow. That crossed your mind too, just to put yourself out of your own misery. It, yes, it did. And, uh, this is still a decision that haunts me today is, uh, you know, I grabbed my phone and, and tried to text my wife and let her know that, uh, well, basically my final goodbyes to her. And I, uh-huh. I had no service and I knew she would never get the text messages until they found the body, but I uh, sent her uh, a goodbye message. I let know I love her and to take care of her daughter and that. And, uh, I made the decision to, uh, to end it myself. So I, uh, grabbed my rifle and loaded it, loaded it up and, uh, put the gun against the ground and put the barrel underneath my chin. And, you know, I thinking about my family and like, this is, this is it. So I pulled the trigger and the gun clicked. I thought it was weird. I just leaned it to the side and re, uh, 
read uh opened the bolt and closed it again and i pulled the trigger well this time the gun went off just inches from my head and uh, that freaked me out and i was like sitting thinking like what am i doing um uh-huh. i they're never going to find me where i was uh my wife would never know what happened i was so far back in the bush that uh, i don't usually see people out there the outfitters that hunt in the area never go that far back you normally and i wasn't really on a beaten trail i was on a game trail and i was just thinking like you know no one's gonna find me here i owed it to my wife and daughter to at least try try to make it somewhere where someone's gonna find the body that way their wife would have some closure mm-hmm. so i opened my pack and looking for something to put my pieces of my face in and uh you know, I had a little first aid kit. There was nothing in there. There's nothing in my pack that would work. And I grabbed, uh, I had a long sleeve sweatshirt. So I put the shirt on upside down with the body, the shirt opened up to the top. And I took the, uh, the pieces of my face and just layered them in there on top of my skull. And I tried to put like blood to blood down. I don't know why I, uh, folded the shirt over the back of my head and then I tied a knot underneath my chin because at this point my chin was hanging down left side of my chin was all it was all open hanging down and flopping so i tied the knot underneath really tight to help hold my chin up and then tied two knots in the back of my head just to keep my help keep my head straight uh the first hundred feet of the trail went down down the edge of a drainage and it's you know three four hundred yards or three sorry three four hundred feet down to the bottom of the drainage and um I mean, I couldn't even stand. I couldn't even, I couldn't even walk. Every time I stand up, I'd fall right over again. Uh, all the ligaments in my right leg were severed at the knee. And it took a while for me to be able to get on my feet. Once I did, I'd shuffle my right leg forward and take a step with my left and just keep kind How of shuffling. How much blood are you losing at this point? I mean, was that ever a thought like I'm going to bleed out? Like, obviously you've suffered all these traumatic injuries all over your body, but is there anything that's just like hemorrhaging blood to where you're like, I got to get a tourniquet on this or anything like that? My head was, my hands, uh, my my left side, everywhere was bleeding. I, I knew mm. I wasn't, I knew I was going to die. I knew I just wanted to make it far enough down the trail that somebody would be likely to find me. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to close up what I could in my head. I mean, I didn't have really much other than, you know, some clothes and a small first aid kit. When I started to walk down that drainage, I got, I don't know, maybe a hundred feet down and I lost my footing and I tumbled all the way down the edge of the drainage down into some large boulders down by a Creek in the bottom. Uh, I tumbled head over heels and when I hit the rocks in the bottom, I was in a lot of pain. I was pretty mangled up and I given up. I was like, this is it. This is, this is it. I could hardly move. I'm in unsurmountable amount of pain. Um, I'm just laying in the rocks and I pulled my phone out to uh, play some music uh, just so I can relax and, you know, fall asleep, let things happen. And I pulled it out. I go to play the, the last song that I played for my daughter the night before it was actually on my phone. And when I went to go play it, it was, uh, the song was baby shark. Mm. <laughs> we all, all the parents know that one. <laughs> yeah. And but you know, my daughter's uh, eight months old at the time and the night before I played that while putting it her sleep and it was on and it was on repeat. So I'm, I'm laying in the rocks and thinking about her and the song going on and you know, thinking about never gonna see my wife and 
my wife and daughter, never going to see her grow up, graduate high school, never going to be able to walk down the aisle. It was pretty rough. And I was never going to see my wife again. Uh, we, we met in high school and she was my first true love and I was never going to see her again. So yeah. laying there, listening to Baby Shark. After after it played on a couple of times, I, you know, I decided, you know, I owe it to him to at least crawl up to the other side of this drainage, get to that, get to that trail. At least somebody will find me there. Um, so, you know, I re- just, I reached out for the next Colson's rock to pull myself up and just, and just reach for the next rock. And I'm going to make it to that little stump or that little bush. I was just setting these little mini goals. Like I'm going to make it to there. And as I reached that, okay, well, I got enough strength. I can make it to the next one. And I remember crawling up the, that side of that drainage. That was very painful yet. Um, I just wanted to make it somewhere where they're going to find me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got up, I got up the, got up to the trail and I managed to get to some bushes and pull myself up so I could stand. And I was just focused on, you know, make it to that tree. And I just slowly made my way down the trail. And, you know, I ended up making it to the next drainage. Which is just as bad as the first one, but I was lucky enough and didn't fall way down to the bottom, only fell part way down and crawled across that. And I got to the main trail and I was like feeling pretty good because you just accomplished all this little stuff. And I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna make it to the now I'm on the main trail, I'm gonna make it to where the trail splits. There's more people that go there. And I just all the whole way I was just thinking about my family, just can I make it to the next spot, the next spot? And how are you able to see anything at this point? I, I wasn't really uh Everything was all blurry. I could see about three feet in front of me. Uh, in order to look forward, I either had to pick up my left eye and hold it up or tilt my head way back so I can see. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, well, I remember this trail quite very well. I mean, I was spent 17 years hiking back in there in the dark and everything, so I, I know my way around. I, um, on that morning coming in, I passed some cowboys who were sitting on the edge of the trail about I'd say about three, maybe four kilometers from where I was in the morning. I rode past them on my bicycle and they were sitting there having their morning coffee. And one guy had a like a big Lanny McDonald mustache. And I just remember him sitting there looking at me and the other guy, like, oh, who's this crazy kid on a bicycle going by? <laughs> uh they were kind of at the spot where the trail splits. And I figure, you know, it's still pretty early in the morning, or you know, well, probably closer to eleven o'clock at this point. Uh, I figured they might be in camp still. Mm-hmm. So I got down to where their camp was and um, they weren't there. There was no camp there. They had packed up and I I was losing hope again. It was like, this is, it was devastating. They're not there. There's no one here to help me. And um, this is, you know, I, I'm still thinking I'm going to die. I just, I don't know where. Well, I did read a, I read a report, uh, from 20, from 2000 to 2015, there were roughly 183 grizzly attacks in North America with uh, 15% of those ending up fatal. So, you know, you're thinking about you're, you're, you think you're going to be one of those statistics, but yet you're, you're climbing and clawing your way back, giving yourself hope. And then you get, and then you think you've gotten to a point where these cowboys are going to help me out, and then it's back to despair again. Yeah, that that was hard. Yeah, that was hard, and yet there's more obstacles still to overcome. Uh, you're still here, though. You didn't become a statistic. 
We're going to take a break, come back, and continue on this incredible journey with Jeremy Evans. That segment brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. You talk about an organization that puts its money where its mouth is. That is SCI. They do it both internationally and domestically. I think people don't understand that. SCI does just as much here in North America as they do uh, in Africa and, and Europe and basically anywhere else that you would want to travel to hunt someday. Uh, check it out. I'm a proud member. You should do the same. Safariclub.org. We'll be right back. Bear's paw shred Jeremiah's face Before he lodged it in a tree Jeremiah ran the knife just above the claws Hard and deep As Bear limped away Without a mournful cry Dead man's words rang through his head Keep your powder dry Hey guys, Cable here for Armasite. If you're looking to light up the night, whether that's with thermal or night vision, then you need to head over to Armasite.com. That's where you can find all of the thermal and night vision monoculars, uh, thermal weapon sights, and of course, night vision nods. Yeah, those cool looking helmets, the one that I have. Yeah, buddy. You can find them over at Armasite.com. They've got it all right there. And even better than that, they've got some new stuff coming down the pike like the 640 contractor i've got the 320 640 even better you can find it all at armorsite.com i'm chris letzinger online sales manager at cinnamon creek ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club we're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges full pro shop and six different 3d courses cinnamon creek was designed by hunters for hunters Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Wow. We live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, and if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me. I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. They also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts with that kind of content, just go to download Go Wild. It's a free app. I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. Oh, but I'll be all right As long as there's light from a neon moon Oh, if you lose your one and only There's always room here for the lonely To watch your broken dreams dancing out of the Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg. We've still got Jeremy Evans here with us, and we'll continue with his epic struggle to survive after being mauled by an Albertan grizzly bear while scouting for bighorn sheep. We'll do that momentarily. This segment, though, brought to you by my friends over at NUMA, geared for the outdoors. Uh, Here's what I wore last week in South Texas, where... 
not only were temperatures in the upper 90s, that's right, it's crazy. Went from North Texas, temps in the 70s get down uh, seven hours south and a high of 99 degrees on Wednesday. Whew, it was steamy. Uh, so I wore the Renegade top. It's a quarter zip. It's breathable. Kept me uh, nice and warm in the mornings because, you know, it was in the 70s. And then by the middle of the day, unzip that thing, and it's airy and light. Perfect for spring turkey in the south. Uh, you can find the Renegade top at numaoutdoors.com. And get this, it's guaranteed for life. So uh, you scratch it up, tear it up in that South Texas brush, they're going to replace it. Insane. Who does that? Uh, Numa outdoors.com okay uh well jeremy where we left off you had hoped to cross paths with some cowboys uh thinking you know they might be able to offer you some help get you out of the back country uh that didn't pan out so now where are we at uh continuing down the trail and uh about halfway out there's an out there's another outfitter camp and the guys that they were there you know, they're there every year and I passed the tent in the morning, but didn't see anybody, but they were always there this weekend. I, so I passed where the Cowboys were in the morning. The trail kind of goes out to a Creek and the Creek is all blown out. Uh, there was a pretty big flood the year before, a couple of years before, and the Creek's all braided and there's no more trail. You just have to meander your way down the Creek to kind of find your way. And of course there's all the deadfall and all the rubble from when the Creek flooded. So trying to crawl through that, um, I just, you know, you get up to a log or a piece of deadfall and you're like, do I, do I go around it? Do I crawl underneath it? Do I go over top of it? Dude, and I hate you... doing that just when I'm elk hunting and I'm perfectly, you know, <laughs> have all my faculties and my eyes and hanging out of my eye socket and my face isn't ripped off and my knee isn't, you know, all the ligament severed deadfall suck regardless. And now you're having to deal with this crap in the state that you're in i i don't even can't even imagine it, it sucked like you're walking through the river rock and and you get to like if you can see the tree laying there and you don't know do you go towards the trunk or do you go towards the tip you try to walk over climb over you know you go towards the trunk you get the big root ball and then usually everything else tangled up in there and it just mm -hmm. like it was so frustrating and just tiring exhausting i managed to make it through that i guess kind of like a minefield of of deadfall and i got to the outfitters tent that you know i know the guys are very well they're there every year i get up to their camp and they have electric fence around there so i open up the fence and got in and when i was walking in i it was empty uh there's no horses there and there's usually the uh, camp cook or somebody's usually in the camp all the time so i got to the first tent opened it up nobody there I went to the second tent, opened it up, nobody there. And I'm like, well, what do you do? Uh, I went back to the first tent and figured, oh, well, they got to have a radio or a sat phone in here. Uh, I mean, they always have. It's probably in here somewhere. I had a big white cabinet on the corner of the tent, uh, like a four foot by, you know, 18 inch cabinet. Uh, and it had a fancy gate lock on it and I couldn't open it. And so I just grabbed the corner of it and knocked it over onto the ground and it broke open. Well, it was full of canned food and canned food roll across the floor. And there was this little black case. Uh, it looked like a, a cell phone case from like the old school mic phones that you had. Mm -hmm. with the, uh, you know, I found that I was excited. I'm like, oh, so I opened it up. It was just like a Leatherman 
uh, <laughs> knife. <laughs> and and I was sitting there, I'm just devastated. And at this point in time, I'm starving. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. Uh, amongst the cans on the ground, there was one that was like a triangle shape. And I knew what it was. It was like the, the cans of Spam or ham, the uh, soft ham. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I was so hungry. I'm like, I want to eat that because I know what it is. And um, they got the little tea thing that you put in the can and you got to twist it to get the top off. Well, I, my fingers and that were no shape. So I grabbed another can, started bashing over and I managed to get a corner of it open. It was taking out this ham and sticking the corner of my mouth. And it was so good. I remember the taste of that. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, get, it's like an advertisement for spam here <laughs> yeah it was it was so good <laughs> uh, i grabbed it i'm sitting there at at the picnic table inside this tent with this was ham and i'm uh i'm bleeding all over the place it's just dripping on the table and it's driving me in nuts like it just dripped and tried to clean it up and it just keeps coming and they had a roll of uh bounty sheets and toilet paper was sitting on the center of the the table so i grabbed that and i tried folding up my skin on my jaw on the one side and started wrapping my face in these bounty sheets and and when i was doing that my jaw kind of clicked i think it was dislocated at the time and when i was moving it around it clicked back in and i could feel a lot of pressure relief from my face well i wrapped these uh bounty sheets and toilet paper around my face to help stop the bleeding and i found they had a roll of like athletics tape but it was a vet wrap for horses so i that and i wrapped that around to hold the toilet paper and help hold my pieces the the you know what was hanging in my face kind of in place and taped up my hands try to cover the holes on them and uh and i'm sitting there and you know just exhausted uh i uh just figured this would probably be the best place to be because someone's going to find me here right away you know that night or whatnot like Rolled out a sleeping bag on the floor and I got over to the stove and I opened it up to make a fire because it was cold and just, you know, ready to give up. Uh, the outfitter was really good that they had like fire starters in there and everything's all made for the fire. And I was sitting there and I was trying to figure out like, what do I do? And, and, uh, before I laid down, I, uh, they had some, I found some sheets of paper and a marker and I wrote a little note to the outfitter for letting them know who I was. And then I got attacked by a bear and the back of the note, it was to my, it was for my wife just to let her know that I tried and I left that on the table and I, uh, mm. you know, I figured heck, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. I'm still another five or so miles from my truck. I'm just going to try to make it. Maybe the outfitters walking back in, you know, maybe they went out to go get some more gear and, uh, they had some juice boxes there, so I grabbed the last little touch of pack of juice boxes, started squirting in my mouth, and decided I'm going to hike out, uh, open up the tent. I had three rounds left for my rifle. I fired those off in the air, put the gun in the middle of the tent, stuck the note to it, and then uh, closed up the tent and made my way uh, towards the truck. I, I I still, at this point in time, I was thinking that, you know, I'm just still not going to make it. I mean, yeah. Um from this part of the trail on it's fairly flat you cross the creek a couple more times and you get to a base of this big hill then you got to climb up and over and it's quite a steep hill i got to the base of the hill and i'm thinking well i could follow the creek down another couple miles and cut up to the road and then hike back down the road to my truck but if i did that no one's going to find me 
uh, so I better off just go hike up this massive hill and get over the other side and then down to my truck. And uh, I just remember watching my feet and just shuffling my feet up this hill. I got about three quarters of the way up, almost to the top of the hill. There's these two boulders. They're about shoebox size. They're in the middle of the trail. And for 17 years, I was too lazy to move them out of the way of the trail. Every time I ride my bike down, you'd hit them and you almost fall over and you hated those <laughs> rocks. I remember just seeing the, seeing that rock or both those rocks there. And I was so happy because I knew when I saw those rocks, I was going to make it to the truck. And I had one juice box up. So I sucked that back and I set it on top of the rock and I kissed the rock. And <laughs> I knew I was going to make it to my truck. It was you know less than a mile away at that point. I got to the top of the hill, right around down the other side of the hill, and uh, about 10 feet from where my truck was parked, there was a gate. There, it's an old road uh, that starts everything, and there's a there's a gate across the road. So I got to the gate, and I'm standing there. You know, I can go to the left and walk about 80 feet or so around the gate and through the trees and up to the road. I can go to my right 30 feet through some water, some slough grass, and come around back to my truck, or I can just go underneath the gate and walk 10 feet to my truck. Um, I decided to make the stupid decision of going underneath the gate. So as soon as I went underneath it, I started to pass out and lose consciousness. Um, there mm. was a road sign there. I just grabbed the sign that had the holes through it, like the channel with the holes through. I shoved my fingers in the holes and I was holding on for dear life and I was wobbly and almost passing out. And it took, you know, probably eight nine minutes ten minutes for me to recover i'm oh. able to stand up and i then i got to my truck <laughs> the first thing i did when i got to my truck is i took the mirror and i pushed the, the driver's mirror forward so i couldn't see myself open up the door hopped in the front seat removed the rear view mirror i really didn't want to look see what it looked like i started up the truck and i remember looking out the windshield going wait, wait a second i can't see the end of the hood I uh, rolled down the window and I'm looking outside the truck and I couldn't see the ground. I couldn't tell where the ground was. And I was like, well, what the heck? What do you do? All I could drive, yeah. Yeah. All I could see was this dark green on the sides and then the light spot down the middle. And I figured the light spot was the middle of the road. I'm just going to aim for that and go. I mean, hopefully I'll run into somebody along the way. Uh, well, 22 kilometers later, the on the road, I got to a little ranch, but in between there, there's uh you're driving up on the side of a mountain. It's got to drop off on one side. There's a little bit of a guardrail. <laughs> it's like a, a gravel road from hell. My <laughs> wife, uh, she, she hates those things. Like when I'm driving, she's freaking out, you know, like she just is, she doesn't like going over bridges and stuff. And here you are doing it with essentially blind. <laughs> <laughs> And the, and the whole time I could feel it was a very rough ride. I thought I was driving in a ditch and my truck was either riding against the guardrail. It wasn't really a guardrail. It was like a metal post with cable stretching in between every so far. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought my truck was really total when I got to this place. Cause it just felt, well, I felt like I was driving in the ditch mm -hmm. through the bush. Uh, so I got this little called Panther resort. It's a place where you can go and ride horses and they have uh you can camp out there they got little cabins you can stay in i pull into there and drive right up to the to the lodge and uh, i was there the weekend before so i knew the kind of layout um the main uh lodge area is shaped like a 
octagon and it's a wood cabin they got the trusses coming down or the log beams coming down stick out onto this balcony so um you hit your head on them being a tall person so i'm walking on the deck around the half of the octagon and there's windows all around the whole thing and uh this is getting close to the door i noticed in one of the windows i could see like a little shadow of a kid and you just see just kind of move away from the window quickly and i was opening up the door and i just hear this young kid's voice like grandma grandma someone's trying to play a prank on us and i i literally looked like a zombie <laughs> i'm sure yeah Jeez. Um, i'm wearing i'm wearing shorts i got a t-shirt on i got this thing over my head i'm covered in blood dirt you know paper towel everything's just hanging down and when i got in there there's two ladies there and they were pretty well in shock and I handed him my wallet right away and the keys to my truck. And here's who I am. I gave him my cell phone, like call my wife, let her know I'm fine. Um, you know, call me an ambulance. I was attacked by a bear. And and then they're like, is there anything we can do for you? And I was like, yeah, I like a glass of medium temperature water, a straw and no ice. <laughs> <laughs> so they give me this glass of water i'm trying to sip it back and my mouth like i don't have any lips or anything and i'm trying to squish between teeth and just suck back some water and i'm bleeding all over the place and i'm on the floor trying to clean it up although these are calling you know 911 and and the one girl is just yelling at me like what are you doing I'm like well i'm making a mess and she's like get out of here like quit it <laughs> they, they threw me in my truck and drove me out back and uh we were gonna wait for stars or an ambulance to come out and so ladies were running back and forth and you can hear them running across the gravel and and uh i was worried about one of them getting hurt and then they wouldn't be able to help me out they kept yelling on me you know like hey just like calm down i'm just missing my face and like i just need you to relax <laughs> my face is all actually i have pieces of it in this shirt i've tied up if you want to look at it yeah <laughs> yeah uh you know we end up being there for quite a while and one of them came out and said hey the helicopter's coming it'll be here in like a half hour you know 45 minutes i was like okay sweet i mean i'm sitting in the passenger seat of my truck and there's this young lady in front of me at the door the door is open she's leaning against the door she won't give me any kind of eye contact she's just sitting there <laughs> just trying to have a conversation with her because we're sitting there like you know like how, you know uh i'm trying to talk it's like i'm kind of kind of mumbling you know i'm like so what's your name you know what do you do uh just like 20 questions right and mm. and uh when we heard about the helicopters coming, I was like, sweet, I'm going fishing. There's a, there's a stream that's not too, or a creek that's, you know, like 20 feet away. I'm going to grab my flyer out. I'm going to go try to catch some bull trout while I'm waiting for the helicopter. You know, I, mean, I was, I was relaxed. I was at this point in time, I knew I was going to make it. Uh, so I, oh, so I got out of the truck and was standing there trying to open up and one of the other ladies come out. She's like, what, are, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm going fishing. She's like, no, you're not. You're getting back in your damn truck. I said, well, if the helicopter is going to be here and, you know, 20 minutes, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> so anyways, well, I wasn't allowed to go fishing. They threw me back in the truck and told me to stay there. And uh, the helicopter landed. It was, uh, ended up being uh, the owner of the lodge. Uh, one of the ladies that was there was her dad owned the place and she was, she was there helping. And her dad flew in his private helicopter to come pick me up to take me to, to fly me into town. Uh, we get there and real nice fancy helicopter uh i get in they had wrapped me up they wrapped a tarp around the inside of it loaded me in and took off and um, i haven't been in a helicopter in the mountains up in there so i was pretty excited and you know i kind of want to look out the window well we, 
Wait, wait hold get... on. If I look out the window, my my eyeball might fall out. <laughs> <laughs> if I look down, now if I'm looking up, it's all right. Yeah. So <laughs> you look in the helicopter, and, and everybody's got the little earmuffs on, and and you know I got nothing, no ears, and like, everything's all messed up. And so I, so the helicopter starts up, and you can't hear nothing. You can just lots of noise. Uh, so we take left off and I'm trying to look out the window. I'm leaning over, trying to look out the window because I want to see the scenery and I can't see at all. I'm trying to make things out. As I'm looking out, I feel this really sharp poke in my right and my left side. And I'm like, so I turn and look and there's a lady there. Her name was Amanda sitting in the helicopter. She looked at me and as I turned my head, she'd pull this tarp up. I'm like, what the heck? So I'll try and lean out, look out the window again. As I'm looking out the window, I get another sharp poke and I turn over and she pulls the tarp up. I'm like, what the hell? Are we playing peekaboo here? Like, <laughs> when i was leaning over to look out the window she thought i was passing out so she was poking me pinching me trying to wake me up and when i would go turn to look at her blood would squirt out of my head and squirt all the place so she'd pull the tarp up to protect <laughs> oh herself so here i'm thinking she's trying to play pick <laughs> so we we flew to a small town which is about a 15 20 minute flight called the town's called sundry and they're very small town the emergency room is like the waiting room everything all in one uh, we we land there in the helicopter and there's a whole line of people outside the helicopter just waiting for us and um, everybody seemed like they're kind of like lollygagging and you can tell no one was really moving fast the mood was calm they opened up the door my side of the helicopter and I remember I turned to look and said hi and that's when panic kind of set in everybody started freaking out uh, and one of the doctors tried cutting through the back of the helicopter he was trying to cut around the helicopter while it had an open tail rotor. And so the Amanda was in the back seat. She hops out. She ends up tackling the doctor and just like, hey, like, watch out. You know, like the blades are going. She's arguing with him, trying to hold him back, trying to stop everybody from going behind the helicopter. They're trying to pull me out. She's yelling at the nurses and doctors trying to pull me out. She's like, just leave him alone. He got in. He can get out. I'm trying to get my leg out, swing it over the seat because at this point in time, it was now stiff and couldn't bend it. Uh, I just felt two little hands, two little arms and hands come around me, grab me by the chest from behind. And this little nurse, you know, maybe five foot nothing pulls me out, throws me on a gurney and pushed me into the, into the hospital. Um, and then from there, he was there uh, probably half hour or so. They just basically threw me in an ambulance and, uh, trucked me on another hour and a half down to where I live in Calgary to a hospital called the Foothills Hospital. Hmm. Well, yeah. Well, so you're out of the woods, literally, uh, but <laughs> the recovery process, I'm sure, has many more hurdles to overcome. I want to talk about that and the book after the break. That segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. Uh, I actually went hunting with Zach Gates, the second generation owner of All Seasons last weekend. Uh, he was down at Turkey Camp, and actually, he was nil guy hunting, shot a nice bull. Uh, but Great hanging out with him and, and just talking a little bit about the family history of All Seasons, which goes back to the late 80s down in South Texas in that brush country where uh, their family still whitetail hunts. So uh, anyway, I'm a big fan of all of their products. It's a great family and I highly recommend it. You can check out their entire lineup of blinds, feeders, and backyard barbecue pits and smokers at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
If you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then 3 Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guides scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it. And Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over a 100 years. They'll do the same for you. If you're ready to take that next step and make the dream of owning your own land reality, then head over to LoneStarAgCredit.com. Hey, this is Evan Felker with the Turnpike Troubadours. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Well, Lori said a family used to have a little money and they still have life. But your daddy don't think I'm fit to sit in the same room with you. There's a little turnpike bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. Cable Smith here with you as always. And we are still visiting with Albertan outdoorsman Jeremy Evans, the victim of a severe grizzly bear mauling that, uh, well, well, we know at this point he's going to survive, right? It's just uh, how bad was it, and what does the recovery look like? So we'll get into that momentarily. This segment, though, is brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants. I took some down to the Uturia down there in South Texas last week just to see what would happen. They've got so many different kinds of free-ranging exotics, but, uh, yeah, I dumped out a bag of to dive for, and not only did the Whitetail deer find it within a few hours – I had pictures of Waterbuck, Nilgai, uh, what else was there? Uh, oh, Javelina, Feral Hogs. It was like the wildlife buffet. And specifically, you know, if you wanted to set up a thermal hog hunt during the off-season, dump a bag of that stuff out because there, there had to be 25 pigs there in the middle of the night just going to town. It's to die for. It'll bring in anything. I promise you that. Uh, and, and these animals had never been exposed to it. It's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so check it out. It's to die for. You can find it at BigandJ.com. Okay, well, Jeremy, uh, at this point, you have been taken to hospital number one, small town hospital, middle of nowhere. You need to get to a big city so that the recovery process and the surgeries that will piece you back together. How many how many surgeries did you have? The bits and pieces of your face, were those uh, usable or just trash or... You know, talk a little bit about the, that and, and the recovery process. So the uh, first, uh, when I first got to the hospital, the first surgery was 13 hours. Where they kind of put everything back together. They stitched my hands up, uh, attached all my ligaments, and did a majority of my face. Uh, the following day, I woke up in ICU. And then the third day, they took me back in for another 12, 13-hour surgery to help finish everything up in my ears, trying to make a face all level. Um so I went through three, uh, two surgeries right away. I was in hospital for a total of five weeks. 
and throughout the hospital stay, there was three, four, four, four big surgeries. Mm-hmm. We're longer than, you know, two around 12, 13 hours, a couple, six hours. Uh, and then about a month after being in the hospital on the right side of my head here, it was still all bone or skull and plate exposed. Um, they brought me into surgery to close it up. I uh, take a chunk of my chunk, chunk of my head and tried moving it over top to cover up the bone and plates because skin won't grow on top of bone. Yeah. Uh, well, that didn't work. So they end up moving it back, and then they just took a. They end up falling down my skull because there's blood flow inside your inside your bones a little bit, and I covered it with a skin graft and figured, heck, we'll leave it for now, and we'll put some tissue expanders in and expand your head and take an artery out of your neck and move it to your head and, um, but. Actually, the skin actually took over top of the bone and, uh, it, you know, uh, well, and now I get skin there, no hair, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. But so were they able to, the, the pieces that you picked up, were they able to use those? Yeah, they were able to use those. Uh, you know, I still got my, my nose, my mustache goatee. Uh, they were able to stitch all of it back together. Uh, There was lots of staples, lots of stitches. Mm-hmm. it took them over a week to pull out staples and stitches every day eight hours a day they'd come in and just do sections of my face i mean i had hundreds and hundreds of staples in my face alone oh my god doesn't look that bad all things considered you they they might say you have a face for a, a podcast for yeah they well, i've heard that one for me for 15 years so <laughs> yeah uh or or an author so i mean you've come on and told this story, but you also have a very detailed book out called mauled, uh, which came out this fall. Uh, so I'm sure that it's basically this story and then times 10 on, uh, other, other little nuggets. And I'm sure it goes into more detail on the recovery and all of that stuff. And, um, I mean, that's how I found, I, I, I actually saw someone recommended the book to me and I was like, well, this is fascinating. And, uh, Jeremy seems willing to talk about it. I, I, I did see in our conversation, you still got emotional thinking that this was going to be the end and, and, you know, reflecting on your wife and your eight month old daughter, you've done a lot of these conversations though. And it's, and you, st- I guess you still get emotional every time, huh? I, I still do. Sometimes it hits me pretty hard. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's hard to talk about some of the you know, giving up and that it, it's hard to talk about it. Uh-huh. It's getting easier. Yeah. Uh, it's still pretty tough. It, it's still pretty close. So this happened in 2017. When did you first start doing interviews and become comfortable telling your story? Well, uh, actually up until let's say August of last year, I didn't really let anybody know that I was writing a book. We did it for about two years, took about two years. COVID came in between. So I ended up yeah. extending the writing the book process. Uh, but I didn't start doing interviews till I guess early September of last year, just before the book came out. Um, it was hard uh, because there's some things in the book that I never told anybody or never mentioned about. And I was really afraid of letting people know Um you know, the part of me giving up and wanting to commit suicide and then the struggles with PTSD after uh, that, that played a huge role in things. And, and it's hard to, it's hard to tell people that you, you know, you needed help and you got psychiatric help. Um, so I started doing the interviews in mid September and then now it's just continuing on and on each interview I do, it gets easier and easier to talk about it. And, uh-huh. huh. 
Yeah, I imagine there would be some serious PTSD there. Um, I don't. You don't seem like the kind of guy that quit hunting. I mean, I assume you're you're back to your old uh, your old ways and spending time in the woods again. Oh yes, uh, it was forty eight hours of being out of the hospital. I went back to the the lodge uh, to meet the ladies that helped me out, and then we went back to the gate. And on that day, uh, we walked around a little bit, and I ended up shooting two spruce grouse and getting back out there. And a couple of days later, I uh, harvested a white-tailed doe. I mean, I, I just, I couldn't stop. I mean, crutches, braces, <laughs> whatever. I was out there. I, I mean, I got more rules now with the wife. I mean, I got two young kids and I want to be around for, for them for a little mm-hmm. while longer. So now I, you know, use a Garmin inReach, got that with me with a heartbeat monitor so my wife can track me. Uh, I'm, I can't hunt by myself unless I'm on the prairies or an area where there's no chance of seeing a bear or being bears there. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can always go with somebody and. Yeah. I, uh, the first, the first elk tag I ever drew, I had a buddy that was supposed to go with me. It was in New Mexico and, uh, he bailed last minute. He had some sickness in his family. He couldn't go. I went solo. My wife was not a big fan of that. And there's no grizzlies there, but you know, you're packed in seven, eight miles by yourself. I did have a satellite phone. I checked in with her every night, told her I was alive. Uh, but for me personally, by the seventh day, I was like, I was lonely. Like I, I was like looking for someone to talk to and there wasn't anybody. I saw one other human being on horseback that entire time said hi to him. They were, you know, they were going hunting too. That was it. And, uh, by the seventh day I was like, I don't see how hermits do this. Just a total recluse and, and have no interaction with anyone. I, you know, some people are built different. I, I, I certainly enjoy the camaraderie of, of hunting. Even if you split up for the day, which I enjoy. You know, my buddy and I went to Wyoming for nine days this past year, and we spent half the time hunting together and half the time hunting by ourselves. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I like uh, the camaraderie around the campfire and talking about how the day went, certainly for me, more than than being solo uh, for an extended period of time anyway. <laughs> I I like that too. Uh, but when we go sheep hunting, it's hard to find somebody that would stick with you for, you know, a week or mm. so. I had one good friend that we used to go out all the time and we'd go, you know, 15, 20 days back in or longer. And, and, uh, at some point in time, he'd just say, oh, enough's enough. I had, had enough of the snow walking up and down <laughs> these hills, freezing my butt off. <laughs> yeah. That stuff is taxing and it drains you mentally, but, uh, I think I could deal with that a lot more than just the, uh, solitude, which don't get me wrong. I like to, I like hunting by myself. I like sitting in a tree stand sometimes all day by myself and then just thinking about things and, and life. And, but day five, six, now nah, I'm ready to, to visit with somebody. Um, what about, so, so the book's available wherever it's out now. It came out. What, uh, what did it come out? September, October, September 27th, uh, 2022. Okay. Yep. Yeah. You can, uh, pick up the book uh, at a variety of locations, you know, at uh, Indigo Chapters, um, your local bookstore, um, Amazon, you can get it from there, or you can get a, a signed copy directly from me on uh, my webpage, uh, grizzlydude.ca, mm-hmm. and I can ship anywhere in the United States and Canada, and um, every book that you buy off that website, uh, it's signed, and you get a nice fancy bookmark with it uh, of one of my funky sayings and like a piece of your ear or something in there yeah. <laughs> uh so have you seen a bear since this happened yes uh the 
was three weeks out of being out of the hospital. I went back over with a friend in the area to go look for some sheep. We saw we saw five grizzly bears that day, just driving around, and we got out walking around, ran into a sow with two cubs, you know, fair ways away. They were barking at us. Um, I was okay with it. I can understand the situation. Uh, he wasn't. He was pretty nervous. So we that kind of ended our hunt pretty or ended our day pretty quick. Uh-huh. Uh, the the following year, we hiked back in to uh, the to the same area, but on the backside of the mountain where I harvested a non-trophy sheep, which is a, a female. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on the way out, we ran into a young boar who was on a elk he had killed, and he was sitting there barking at us two, three hundred yards away, come bluff charging in, and um, yeah, that was a little nerve wracking. Uh, he never got any close to it, anywhere more than say two hundred yards from us. We fired off our bear bangers and had our bear spray out and we were watching him and um some other air- people in the area were on horseback and they saw us coming down the mountainside they rode over their horses to kind of help out they knew of uh the bear was in there on a kill and mm-hmm. they come and let us know and so uh yeah but having any close encounters were you know closer than 100 feet i guess those are probably close enough considering all things uh do, you don't you don't harbor any ill will towards that bear uh no i I don't uh no nothing towards the bear at all Uh, she you know we're it just was a bad i was in a i guess the wrong place at the wrong time so was she Mm -hmm. um you know they got between or you know i got between them and they got between me and the cub uh she was just doing what a mama bear does is protecting her young and there's no there's no need to do anything to her i hope i hope she's actually out there doing fine um she's protecting her cub i can't blame her for that I was an idiot, didn't have my bear spray ready, so yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, you always wonder with this fast is these you, you wouldn't think bears can move as fast as they can, but they're damn quick. And oh, yes. even if you would have had it, would it would it have mattered? I don't know. Do you think it would have? I think it would have. I think uh well the year before this, I got charged by a bear in the same area and I sprayed that one and that one stopped on a dime. Huh. Uh, so that worked very effective yeah. bear spray. If I had it, if I actually had it on me, I could have felt that when she first charged in, I could have just fell down and sprayed her as it was falling down and, and that would have stopped her. I'm pretty confident in that. Okay. Well, that's a good piece of insight there. Um, and, and some people are like, well, you want to take a handgun or bear spray? I, I, I don't know. I'd rather I'd rather take a bear spray than a handgun. I mean, you can have a handgun, great, but uh, could you hit a bear running at you from fifty feet? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I've seen grizzly bears go hundred yards in like five leaps and a couple seconds. And yeah. then if you could get your gun out and shoot them, could you kill them in one hit? And and, and if they're chewing on you, what's the chance you can be able to pull your gun out and and shoot them and kill them? I mean the. The whole attack, all three rounds together, is probably between 10 to 12 minutes total from start to finish. But the only time we're actually physically fought the bear was maybe 90 to 120 seconds of hand-to-hand combat when she's chewing on my face. So she did a lot of damage in a very short amount of time. And how much do you think this bear weighed? The the investigation team figured she was the average size, 300, 350 pounds. So not a... Uh, an average size for a grizzly bear, not a large one by any means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, man, I I certainly appreciate you being willing to share your story. Um, very courageous from the, the the lowest of low points where you think this is the end. I might just end it myself. I don't think I'm going to live to, you know, one one rock at a time. 
And uh, yeah, dude, I, I can't even imagine. Uh, so we certainly appreciate you being transparent and, and opening. Yeah, it's not easy, you know, making yourself vulnerable, uh, but you've done that here and you've certainly done it with the book as well. So we appreciate that, man. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, Instagram is the Grizzly Dude One. And in some weird twist of fate, uh, I mean, this bear has, I don't know what you do for a living, but it certainly, you know, helped support your family if this book is doing well. Yeah, the, well, the book just came out. So, um, uh, you know, it's doing fairly well. I think we're around 7,000 copies sold to date. Uh-huh. Uh, the book has opened up some new opportunities for me. Uh, one of the things is getting into motivational speaking. So I've had lots of requests to go do dinner events, uh, talk to talk at schools. Um, so I got into starting getting into that more and more motivational speaking, sharing my story, using that and the lessons I learned that day, you know, like that, that family comes first and they're one of the most powerful forces on the planet. Um, yeah. you know, be prepared for the unexpected and asking for a psychiatric help is not a weakness, but it's a, it's a strength. Mm-hmm. And, and when you set, you know, many goals, you can achieve incredible things. So, so this has led this book coming out now has led to into, the motivational speaking side i mean I'm, I'm just starting out it's uh it's going fairly well it's still some things are still pretty emotional but i'm getting through it um yeah. and i started uh there's also grizzly dude merch um reason for the name grizzly dude is the first person to see me was a nine-year-old boy and at that ranch uh they nicknamed me the grizzly dude uh, you know <laughs> media of course swarmed it was asking for things and they just called me the grizzly dude that's cool so when yeah. the book came book came out was coming out, I created a Grizzly Dude uh, logo and uh, for my team's background and a slogan. You could bear it because I like puns and I joke about the grizzly bear attack lots now. Uh, <laughs> you can bear it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. So uh, so you have a website then too? Yeah, it's uh, the Grizzly Dude. Okay. Ca or Grizzly Dude. Okay, I think you yeah you mentioned that. So that's where I can find a, t- a t shirt. Correct. T-shirt, cool. hats, bookmarks. Well, I even got water bottles. You know now, like swell water bottles and uh, nice Yeti coffee mugs. So what? What the goal was with the Grizzly Dude and the merch was to help raise money for uh, PTSD research for PTSD to help you know people that suffer with PTSD from being you know outdoor passions. Um, well, my goal is to try to raise five million dollars. I want to get a endowed. Uh, I want to get endowed position chair position at a university where that money is used to uh, fund research into PTSD recovery and treatments and so the yeah the the five million dollars gets endowed and it uh, the money generated off that five million runs the department and so whoever gets hired to run that that chair position can go get research for more money more grants and then that money lasts forever I want to help a lot of people. I mean, that's so. Uh, some some of the proceeds from the shirts and water bottles goes to is going towards that five million, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that's my ultimate goal. I want to help more people. Well, giving back, man, that's awesome, uh, Jeremy. Y'all check it out. The book mauled, and uh, the Grizzly Dude is the website. So, thanks again, Jeremy. It's been a, a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. All right, take care, brother. You too. So there you have it, Jeremy Evans. I think, I don't know, that might be the most inspiring 
struggle to survive that we've ever heard on this uh, on this show in nearly 15 years. Incredible stuff there from the depths of despair and you know attempting to take your own life to thinking about your your kid, your wife and and the realization that nobody's ever going to find you if you die here. Mm. I hope that none of us ever find ourselves in a similar situation. That's the truth. Uh, so thanks to Jeremy for coming on today. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. We couldn't do it without them. Uh, thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying happy Easter, and y'all have a great week in the outdoors. On a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross Where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain